All right, welcome, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Jane Irrigation Training Series. I'm Richard Rastusha, Vice President of Water Management Solutions, and uh, today we're getting a little out of the box on irrigation, and uh, we're going to talk about how to shoot better photos of sports fields. A lot of people ask me, well, why in the world do you do this, and what does this have to do with irrigation? And I always say, you know, we're very fortunate to work in an industry in which our work uh, has visual results, right? There's a lot of people who can say, I'm good at my work, but when we say we're good at our work in the irrigation or in the landscape or a grower, uh, people actually see the results of our work and will make the determination on their own as whether or not we're good at it or not. But when you are good at it, uh, the great thing is, is you can take pictures of your work. You know, if you put in a great landscape, if you're a grower, right? We talked about why don't we have celebrity growers? We have celebrity chefs. Why don't we have celebrity growers? Well, in order to do that, you got to market what you're doing a little bit. And the thing that does the best job of marketing for our industry is photos, photographs. And uh, uh, so today uh, we're going to talk about how to shoot better photos because we really want to reward all of you that are putting in the work to have some great projects, some great uh uh, landscapes, and we want to be able to see those and share those. So taking us through this today is uh, Michael Derwenko. You know, I've worked with Michael for a long time now, you know, seven years at Jane. We worked together at Valley Crest before that. Um, and so I've known Michael for a long time, but uh, a lot of people don't know that before Michael got in the irrigation industry and you know, way back, he was a contractor, an irrigation contractor, but between uh, irrigation and irrigation contracting, he was a professional photographer. And um, it's not that often you find somebody in our industry that has also got the experience in photography. And uh, he's super generous to share that with all of us on these webinars. We've done several about photography that have been very good, very um, instructional. Uh, but he also helps all his customers with shots. I'm always amazed at uh, how many customers will say, man, I wish I had some good shots of this project or that shot, uh, project. And Michael's always willing to help him out and, and take some good photographs. And boy, that goes a long way for relationship building and uh, just improving the industry as a whole. So it's great to see Michael caring about the industry and his customers that way. So Michael, uh, welcome and thanks for joining us again today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think I think that's a great pitch. I, I think visually, you know, we we think about curb appeal and how, um, you know, maybe uh, the projects that we're a part of, uh, how the effort um, is reflected upon the 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 purchaser, the customer, the buyer, the homeowner. Um, but you know, uh, marketing there's there's more to it than just that. I mean, so you can take those images and uh, ultimately market your services to others as well. And uh, today we're talking about something that's a little more obscure, but I think there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of detail that applies to just the day-to-day. -day. Yeah, so Mike, I'm, I'm like a lot of people, right? I'm an amateur photographer, struggling. You know, I've got a couple hundred dollars in equipment, you know, certainly less than a thousand. And, uh, you know, I watch videos like yours or read stuff on the internet about photography. And, and do I have any chance of ever taking a good sports field uh, uh, photo with, uh, with that light background? Um, uh, I assume you're talking about the prior photo image. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I obviously never sought out to, to shoot uh, irrigation on sports turf or obviously landscapes or uh, any commercial projects. Um, you know, uh, the professional photography background that I come from is shooting skateboarders and action photography. So I was shooting things that move very quickly. 
uh, a lot of the times with artificial light, but I think one of the main things that, uh, one of the appreciations that I, that grew from this was uh, when I started to shoot water, you know, water is very similar to something that's moving in action. Hopefully what uh, a lot of viewers get out of this today is, you know, we're not necessarily going to teach you how to, you know, film, you know, little Timmy on a Saturday morning running across the soccer field. But what you will get out of it is capturing action. And I think capturing action is one of the more difficult things to do in photography. So uh, to answer your question, is there any chance of you uh, getting an image like this? I think you'll learn very quickly that it is. It's not about the right equipment. and It's not necessarily even right uh, about the right person, but putting yourself in the right position to uh, to capture images like this. I mean, uh, a lot of it goes into it. And I think that's what we're gonna cover today is more the circumstance of the things you can control um, and not much, not as much the action that you cannot control. And as we're looking at this photo, I mean, this is really an amazing photo to me for a couple of reasons. One, I can't believe the quality of the turf. My gosh, <laughs> who's ever growing that, you know, kudos to them because that's amazing. But then you have the water and you can see at the end of the throw of the water, you can see individual droplets. So you were able to stop that action, yet there's shade behind it, which actually helps the, the light of the water, which I really like. But then to just make it a little bit more complicated, you've got the clouds and the sky and sun above. Um, when you shot this, did you have any idea it was gonna come out that good? Um, so this was, this was in the time of digital. So I, I obviously saw the preview. You never really know looking at the preview, what you're getting out of it. Um, there's a couple things there, um, you know, digital photography, the technology has come so far. So we're able to actually grab some sky and some, uh, dark space. Uh, that is, I, I think most photographers would admit grabbing, uh, those three contrasts of light, the turf light, the, uh, the bleacher light and then the skylight. It's probably one of the more complex things you can do in photography, especially at a natural level. When we can control these different things inside in a studio, uh, you know, it's a little easier. This is this is one of the more difficult things to do. Uh, I think this came with like doing this for years and years and years. Um, a couple of things to point out here. Uh, the If you look at the lights off to the back right, that's actually a, a light rig. And to uh, to your compliment about the turf, uh, what happens here is when you have these fields where the turf is protected from shade or from the sun with the shade or the bleachers, excuse me, the people watching are protected from the sun. What happens is you create these shadows and these shadows, like you can see what uh, is down next to where the goals would be. This is a big soccer field in, um, in Jersey. Well, that's actually a light stand that moves across the field at the same rate the sun does. So as the sun's moving across the dome, those lights are moving to counteract that shade to make sure that all the turf gets exactly per square foot the same amount of UV light and water as, you know, so it's consistent. That's why that turf exists because most people would look at that and go, how do they not deal with like, you know, scalping on the outsides or the insides? Um, that's how they do it. So they actually have these light rigs and on top they have sprinklers that cool them off. But that's a giant light rig uh, that a lot of our indoor growers are familiar with uh, that moves across. And so um, so that's the, that's the value of the turf. The sprinklers themselves, uh, we have to line those up and wait for them to line up and then shoot them at the right time. And this is where circumstance comes into it. And that's where obviously uh, some experience helped. Yeah, I was, I was, so one, that's fascinating about the light rig. I had no idea about that. So that's, uh, that's really cool to learn about. And uh, two, uh, who got wet holding the sprinklers so that they all got kind of in that, uh, that unison uh, that, that we see there, synchronized. Well, there's, 
Well, it's funny because you made the comment earlier about us helping out our customers when they come to shoot these things. I mean, that's the value of the sales rep. And so the, um, you know, the sales rep is the partner and he's the intermediary between the marketing department of the manufacturer and the actual end user. And so in this case, we have a field manager that's out there that works for Red Bull in the stadium um, as a representative. And then there's a manufacturer's rep that would work alongside of me. I will tell you, my camera had a waterproof case on it and uh, I would sometimes just wear board shorts to these uh, shoots because you would get so wet and if it was hot, you'd just get soaked. So, um, uh, you know, you, you come to conform to the elements, but uh, yeah, there's definitely a guy running in front of me, twisting them and then us, you know, giving it a one, two, three and shooting. Yeah, very cool. I loved uh, getting the history uh, on, on that shot. Awesome. Um, so a couple things we're going to cover today. Uh, these are the things that I think are the most uh, can 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 be the most problematic for a lot of shooters, especially outside, uh, you know, within the elements. Um, I think uh, uh, we've talked about this in the past, but I really hope that there's value in a lot of specifiers, a lot of designers of sports turf fields, contractors and installing contractors should be looking at these things going, all right, this is the optimal time. And these are the uh, circumstances I need uh, to, to market my finished product or the finished project the best I can. Um, you know, and then ultimately, uh, I would hope manufacturers look at this. One of the big things we had in the past was, uh, you know, 15 years ago is a lot of irrigation was displayed or, uh, or marketed incorrectly. You know, in the late 80s, early 90s, how often did you see drip photos, uh, you know, of emitter line and it's like above ground and snaky and just, you know, moving around and, you know, shockingly contractors didn't want to want to install drip. Well, I think what's happened in the last 10 to 15 years, and I, I hope that I've added benefit to that. Uh, is is really marketing products properly. And one of the big things with a lot of the irrigation I've shot on sports turf is um, we don't want to see misting. You know, we want to see pressure regulation uh, or zoning properly. The hydraulics of the system need to be accurate. Uh, so it was always a big deal. Those water droplets you talked about on the prior shot, um, that those are things we look for. We want to make sure that we don't just see misting blowing in the wind. If that's the case, the last thing we want to market is a head that doesn't have the proper pressure regulation. So, um, so some of the things we've had to look at are details with the actual products on these sports turf um, applications. But I think uh, what a lot of you know just typical viewers and amateur photographers could take out of this, uh, there are some elements of how to deal with light throughout the day, if that makes sense. Yeah, because uh, as you and I were discussing earlier this week, you know, when uh, when a sporting event is going on or when you can actually get access to a field um, may not be the best time for light. Yeah, I mean, you you always hope that, uh, you know, your kid plays sports in the morning so you can get it done and have the rest of the day to yourself. Um, uh, I play tennis, so I have to play all the time. So, you know, you, you get used to it as an athlete. Um, as a photographer, you got to do the same thing. There's got to be some evolution. And, uh, you know, in a lot of large areas, like we're talking about today specifically, um, you know, we do, we want to do the best to control our circumstances because we can't necessarily control the schedule that we're, uh, we're shooting around. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, a couple of typical turf types. I know uh, um, just in case everyone's not familiar, sports, sports fields, uh, tends to be more of an irrigation and a landscape or, you know, landscape market industry term. Um, I, I don't think, uh, I think the layman, when they think about sports fields, they might ultimately think about parks and stuff like that as well. Uh, while there are short turf applications like that, uh, when I think of sports turf specifically, as far as photography goes, uh, these are some of the, 
the sports that I've had the advantage to shoot. Um, and these are some of the ones that I'm kind of basing my, basing my advice off of. As a tennis player, I feel really bad leaving tennis off of here, but I've never shot a grass tennis court. Um, so there are other sports that are not on here. These are the ones I'm familiar with. So these are, these are the ones I feel like I can offer the most, most advice on. Well, it certainly covers a big, uh, a big, big amount, a large amount of uh, sports fields. That's for sure. Yeah. Good. Um, so equipment, uh, so equipment, I want I want to start with this and we'll get into some more, um, some more details on uh, the circumstance around what you're shooting. But uh, one of the main things is I think there's this, um, this, this idea that you need to have a, you know, a lot of equipment to shoot whatever you're shooting. And that's just not the case. And, you know, it comes down to any tool. Um, you, you hand an amateur a shovel and you hand a contractor a shovel, you're going to see a significant difference in, in ability right off the bat. And so uh, what come, what you learn as you do something for a long time is that there's an efficiency to it. And I can tell you as someone that's been doing this a long time, there is truly an efficiency to the amount of equipment you should have in your bag. And uh, these are the few items you could have to shoot what we're going to talk about today um, in your bag without kind of breaking the bank, um, while also adding a dynamic to your photos that maybe you didn't have before that are very simple to add. And so um, these are the things, uh, any advice I give today could be done with this slide alone. So if you have a decent uh, zoom lens or a longer focus lens, a shorter focus uh, lens, and a polarizer and a scrim, you're good to go. Uh, a couple of details that I do want to point out, I don't want to mention exactly what's down below because uh, you can read that. But if you look at the 35 millimeter lens, and Richard, can you see my pointer right here? We can see it great. Okay. Okay. So the one advice I was given a long time ago was growing up shooting skating and action photography, we were always shooting a wide angle lens. It's a very thick piece of glass. The, the closer you are, the thicker the glass, right? Well, the thicker the quality of the glass has to be. And so, Anytime you start to go away and you start to go anywhere from, I would say these days, 10 millimeters to, in my mind, 35 millimeters, you should be using what we call a fixed focus lens. See, it only says 35 millimeters there where this one says 24 to 70. While I always like having a nice zoom lens, and I think I literally have a couple of these in my bag, um, I like having that lens for a lot of these shots because you're moving around, you're getting closer to the subject matter, you're getting further, or further away. You need to be able to zoom it out. However, as you zoom out, it does change the perspective of what you're shooting. And so when we shoot large horizons or large fields, as we zoom out with our zoom lenses, you can see the meniscus on the top of this lens, you do start to distort things. Well, the last thing we want to distort, especially when we're marketing um, irrigation, is the trajectory of our, our sprinklers or the landscape that we've just installed. And so you don't want it to look like a slope and it doesn't need to be a slope. And that's what can happen with some of these zoom lenses. These zoom lenses are meant to be shot in the middle of their peak. So um, while, uh, while Nikon may advertise that they have a, a perfect perspective from 24 to 70 millimeters, uh, I, I think most photographers would agree their happy spot is between 30 and like 60. So right in there, you're gonna get the right amount of focus and the focal plane is gonna be where you want it without distorting what you're shooting. And so we, if you do have a zoom lens, cause they are less costly, um, you just wanna avoid cranking it all the way in or cranking it all the way out. Um, you're not gonna get the crispest image, like crispest, crispest image like that. As soon as you pull it into the computer and start to look at it at a, at a finite level, you're gonna see some distortion around the edges. And so to keep an image from out, inside out completely flat, um, you use a fixed focus lens. And so when I was shooting wide angle lenses of skateboarders, we would shoot anywhere from 12 to 16 millimeters. They're all fixed focus. Uh, you're not zooming at all. You're literally just focusing. 
Um, and so that's a difference in those lenses. You have one that you're going to actually be zooming with, one you're going to be fo just focusing with. Um, and that's kind of the complexity of lenses and what you need to know. So when you see the really long lenses, the gray candid lenses, people are shooting in the wild. Very rarely are they just like cranking the zoom out. Most of the time, those are fixed focus, 2,500 millimeter lenses. If anything, the guy shooting the photo is moving closer or further away from the subject matter. He's not reliant on the lens to do the job. Um, that's interesting. I, I had no idea on that. That was very helpful. I want to ask about these polarizers now. Um, the other day I was driving down the hill in San Diego. You know, the sun's very low on the horizon right now because it's winter and uh, about three in the afternoon. So there's the sun glimmering across the ocean. It, it looked fabulous. I pull over to take my picture. I take off my polarized sunglasses and man, it looked completely different. I mean, 100% different. I thought, do I hold my glasses in front of my lens? And how do I do this? Well, this polarizer, will it give me the same effect as those glasses, as what I'm seeing through my polarized sunglasses? <clears throat> exactly, yeah. And so, um, you know, and it, it even takes it a step further. Um, the cool thing about most polarizers, this is a circular polarizer, um, also uh, very similar to the one I use. Um, the cool thing about polarizers is um, your sunglasses, actually, it's two different layers that are put together that act, add that polarizing element. So that's why you can buy the polarized version of, you know, Ray-Bans or, um, you know, whatever you're wearing and then the unpolarized version. Uh, it's not necessarily a film. It's actually a separate lens. And so what happens on these polarizing lenses, is it's actually like an Oreo cookie with two layers where there's a back layer, which is the clear layer that's that twists on your camera. And then there's the front layer that actually moves on like a, like just an axis where it goes around. Well, as you manipulate that front part of the polarizer, it changes where in your image uh, you're getting more or less polarizing. So for an instant like that, or even um, the previous image of the, the one we're about to look at, actually, that's a good segue. Okay, so in this particular image, you can see how the, the there's backlight. So you know there's the sun is just popping right there. But I need to make sure that the ground still, I get my light down there. In that case, I'm going to twist the polarizer to make sure that the sky and above the horizon is more polarized than the ground. Um, and that's going to add this effect. And so uh, while that might look like there were some after effects, and I know um, this is straight out of the camera. A lot of the photos I'm using today for this, uh, for this presentation are straight out of the camera. So um, if you see debris in the, in the golf course, or in this case, I would have definitely lightened up the uh, Carnoustie Hotel right there. Uh, these are straight out of the camera, and I thought there was value in that so people could, could see what it looks like coming out of the camera. Um, this, so these, every image you see today was captured straight out of the camera with no post work done to it. Um, to add that element of, hey, you could do this too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool, right? And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, we might have thought, oh, well, you know, this was Photoshopped or something, but it's not. In the past, that has been the case. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, if we have to drop in verbiage or copy or something, we're going to make those changes. But, um, uh, you know, I thought I'd stick true. And I think sometimes the message gets mixed when um, I put stuff uh, straight out of camera and then post, uh, you know, operated stuff in there. Uh, so I thought today we'd stick all the way through. That way you can see exactly what it's going to look like coming out of the camera. And I can also point out some flaws in what I've, uh, what I haven't accomplished with some of these. One being the uh, the little bit of water in front of that rotor is driving me nuts right now because I know that's a, a faux pas with golf and turf managers. So, well, that's good to know.
<laughs> so anyway, so this was Carnoustie Golf Course. This is this is the 18. Oops, sorry. This is the 18th hole of Carnoustie Golf Course. Uh, we waited for the light. It sits up on a cliff in Scotland on the east side of the island. So, uh, you know, obviously we're waiting for the sun to move uh, exactly where we want it to move. It's a golf course. Some of the challenges come across on a golf course is obviously there's people golfing. So the last thing we need is somebody to fly to Scotland to golf, and then we're cranking the rotors up prior to their round. So uh, a lot of the circumstance revolves around when we can turn sprinklers on, when the golfers can golf, and then when we ultimately need to be shooting. So uh, a lot of time when you see images of water, those are things to think about. I mean, there was people golfing this day, and we had to go in front of them um, and make sure that everything wasn't soaking wet and they weren't putting on wet green. That's the last thing we want. So, so, Michael, in order to really be able to see that water coming out of the sprinkler, I mean, just coming all the way down to the turf, does it, is the sun behind? Is it behind you shooting? Where's the sun to get the best shot here? In this particular case, if you just took that stream and you went straight up and you clocked it about three positions on the clock. So it's not directly above it, but it's off to the right. If you can look at the shadow, see how the shadow is to the left of the stream? You can see it opposite that shadow from the stream is exactly where the sun is. So um, this is actually not the most ideal circumstance to shoot in because I'm sure we were operating around uh, uh, golf course stuff. So we were shooting more in midday than we wanted to. Not a lot of people wanted to golf in the hot midday in Scotland. Um, but you know, when we can control the light, ultimately we're looking for for this kind of light. We're looking for uh, light that's gonna be behind the sprinklers completely, but also not enough that it's going to produce shadows across the heads themselves. So you can see uh, in this particular one, uh, all the heads are lit up. The, you can see the turf around them. You're telling the story that this water is making the turf very healthy and hardy, uh, while at the same time, uh, you know, the spacing delineates any shadows or any trees that may be producing uh, uh, spots off to the right. And so from a manufacturer standpoint, any irrigation um, manufacturer is going to go, this looks great because the turf is consistent from the shade to the sun and they don't have the big light beam that Red Bull Stadium had. So, you know, what you're really trying to market or, uh, in a case like this is the consistency in turf. And, you know, it also, for the amateur that's shooting anything on sports turf, that's really what you're trying to show. Anytime you see patches or uh, a wear and tear on a, on a soccer field or in a baseball field, you really wanna try to frame those out. So if you show up to a baseball field, um, you know, to shoot your kid and uh, the, the, a certain part of it looks like crap, you really gotta get up, get up off the bleachers and move around. And a lot of these shots, or excuse me, all these shots, really required me walking, you know, this, this circumstance over and over and over to figure it out. I mean, you're watching sprinkler heads rotate with different, um, different rates of rotation. You learn a lot about the grass and a lot about the pitches and the grades uh, that you're shooting, much less about how the light moves across it. Yes, but one challenge I have, Michael, and I, I, I know a lot of people have this challenge too, looking at their photos. Um, if I took that shot you just had up there, you know, after I took it, when I was looking at it on my computer, I'd see some litter in the shot, right? I see stuff in the shot much more easily when I'm looking at it on the computer than when I was actually there, right? And we, we, we do this all the time. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize, you know, I had that rag out there or whatever. Um, how do we take, uh, what, what do we have to do to really see that before we take the shot instead of finding out after we take the shot and it's too late? Um, so once again, we've talked about shooting for a final medium in the past. You know, if uh, if the idea is you want to show um, 
the perspective of a place that has absolutely no litter, you're, there's, a, there's a combination of efforts. You either go pick up the litter and you don't worry about the Photoshop or the post work you're gonna have to do. Uh, so sometimes, you know, if it's something that I can grab, um, can tell you how many times videographers that are working on the same area as me are like, we'll just fix it in post. Yeah, I mean, all you're just displacing, <laughs> displacing the effort. Um, so yeah, you could always just make sure in, in this case, I think, uh, this is the Equestrian Hall of Fame. So there was horses in these chariots that would roll through here. Um, I went through for probably an hour before this shot and just had a bucket and picked up like pieces of uh, like dirt and turf uh, that were, were coughed up because I know that, like you say, I'm going to have to go back and you, you're gonna, you got to use Photoshop to do it. As far as I know, there's Photoshop's the best way to do it. And there's little patch tools and the, the band-aiding tools have come a long way where it's not hard, but you do have to have the software to do it. Um, you know, but look, it comes down to light. If there's litter on this field and that light's raking across the turf, you're going to see the litter. If you're shooting in midday, you're probably not going to see the litter. So uh, if that light's raking across the grass uh, the way you want it to, all those little things are going to pop up. So you either need to plan on making sure the situation is ideal um, or fixing it in post because you will have to do so. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like the real secret is um, take your time, make sure you get uh, your shot set up before you take it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true with any photography. There's a difference between point and shoot photography, which is iPhone, which is point and shoot, like, oh, this is it. This is the best this photo will ever be. Um, and then there's, um, you know, uh, this kind of, this level of photography where you're hoping that uh, whatever comes out of your camera is going to require minor uh, elements of, of adjustment before it meets its final medium. Um, speaking of that, so on, on the lighting, lighting kick it, lighting is it has never been more important as it is when, when i shoot action or when i shoot water and i, I really like the idea of uh, of shooting water um, we can shoot waterfalls we can shoot fountains but very rarely do you have water coming from the ground in a in a in a, a pre uh, you know a, a trajectory that's already been pre-planned or pre-organized um, minus the actual rotation of the sprinkler the trajectory is rather consistent um, so we're always able to manipulate it and move around it. It's always coming from the same spot. As you can see in this photo, by the way, I want to end. This is, this is water on a lens. So when water gets on a lens, you get these dark spots. This stuff right here, this is a photographer's nightmare. All these little dots. That means I got wet that day. Um, so as I, as I rotate around, I can, you know, the cool, the cool part about it is once you have that center axis on a sprinkler or on any, whatever your focal plane is, a valve box or something on the project you're working on, you can, the sun's going to be at certain perspectives. You can move around it. And so um, while the sun might not be in, at, at an ideal location like this one, anytime I see the shadow of the stream directly below the stream, I know that it was probably a forced shot. This one was in the south of France, so I'm sure it was forced. Uh, but, you know, you have the power to move around it. And, um, that's the big one is, is you know, you're not always at the mercy of the sun. You have the power to move around it. You're not using a tripod for something like this. Uh, and in this particular case, you can see all the sprinkler heads are lined up. Uh, the one thing I do want to point out about this top image is uh, that horizon is relatively straight, but you see how you can tell it looks like it's like the shape of the moon where it like curves. <clears throat> a lot of sports turf for drainage purposes has this like dramatic curve where if you've ever been in the you know, uh, I didn't put Madrid, the football team um, that plays in Madrid, when you're standing on one side of their stadium on the sidelines and one side of the other, you can, all you can see is waist up of the opponents under their side. That's how dramatic that, that shift or that uh, contour is uh, to try to displace the water as, as they irrigate. 
Um, so you got to take that into account. So if you're trying to shoot a player on the other side of the field with a long lens, you can't chop them off, you know, because of that contour, you've got to give yourself a few levels of the bleacher to get up to shoot them. A lot of times during football games, you'll see those monopods the cameras are on. You see these guys standing like this. Um, the reason they're doing that is they're trying to make up to make sure it looks like in the photo that they're shooting straight on uh, because in real life, they're more shooting up or they're more shooting down because of that uh, grade change. Does it, do you understand that? Yeah, no, it's great, right? I always think about football, run the uh, run the players to the short side of the field because you're running downhill. But uh, exactly. I never thought about the nightmare it creates for a photographer. Hey, so, so this yeah. bottom photo here, was it, was that an overcast day? Was that just after the sun went down or before it came up? What, what's happening there? It's a beautiful shot, but I'm looking at that sky and it looks gray. Exactly. So, um, you know, uh, typical U UK gray sky. Um, this was a, this was, this is an example of not the ideal circumstance to shoot, but forced to shoot and something like this, we would have pulled our sky and we've done a boatload of, of post work on this and added a nice blue sky. Um, there probably is a post version of, of this. Um, but yeah, that's the, you know, the, you, the, the best natural polarizer is the, is the clouds. And, you know, um, a lot of times the, the cool thing about an iPhone is the reason there's three lenses on the back is because you have you know, you have three different reasons for those lenses. One is the uh, macro lens for zooming in close. One is the zoom lens, which gives you a little bit of medium to, to far perspective. And then the third one is their new portrait portrait shooting, which is what you see on sports events and stuff now, which is basically like a drop focus or it's a tight aperture. Um, instead of giving users the option to adjust their aperture and being at the mercy of the user, they've actually given you a whole new camera and a whole new lens that um or new lens that actually drops out the focus and now you have to do is just get within you know what four to ten feet and it drops the focus out for you that's all portrait mode is is a tighter aperture or a tidal focal plane um and they do that by giving you a whole separate lens which i always thought was funny that iphones went from one lens to three lenses and instead of teaching people how to shoot photos they're like we'll just give you every lens in one device so you can never be wrong um so that's essentially what they've done and so in a case like this yeah it's dark um that's an unusable photo. Uh, everything was blooming in the background and that was an ideal time to shoot, but the clouds would just not give us a break. Um, so we would have probably in post torn out that whole white sky and uh, added a blue sky um, similar to uh, to this. Wow. So, um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, this is all about like, you know, searching, searching for this best, the best light. And, you know, when we have these bleachers, uh, the contrast between dark shadows and bright lights and then water that's obviously a, a reflective surface uh you know the contrast from one to the other can be rather difficult to uh, you know to, to capture uh but you know you learn with experience i have uh I have many of years and ten thousands of photos before this that didn't come out so it took a long time to get to this uh but i think uh bending your knees is the big one if you're using an iphone finding the right time of day and you can never be touching the screen when you're shooting a photo on your iPhone or your phone in general uh, to make sure because it's not only finding a focus part of your of your frame, it's also metering, uh, it's light metering. And so in, a, in, a, in this case, you would be probably clicking on like where the middle of the bleachers are, you're going to find the middle average light in a frame on your phone, you're going to touch that and it's going to meter between the sky and then the, um, the darker parts of the image and hopefully give you some deep uh, deep contrast where you can pull it into the post aspect of a photo on your phone, not like Photoshop, just something simple. And you can add brightness to it, but at least you have that like clarity to the whole frame, not just a particular point. Everyone always wants to click on their buddy's face 
it's like now click on his like left shoulder or like right over his shoulder by a couple of feet, you know, on that tree, because that's going to give you a better average focal plane to manipulate in, in the post a uh, little, you know, photo, photo program you can work with. Yeah, what a great tip. Now, um, I want to just talk strategy here a second. Um, I tend to take a bunch of photos, right? My strategy is take a hundred photos of the same thing and then uh, afterwards figure out which is the best one. Um, what's your strategy? Um, I, I mean, I, I used to shoot thousands upon thousands of photos. Um, now I spend more time on setting the photo up. You know, as we talked about earlier, once you start to get kind of your framing, which is a good transition into framing um, perspective and larger landscapes, once you kind of get your framing down and you understand, you know, the scope of, uh, of how, uh, or the, the forum of like how far your lens stretches from left to right and up down, you end up trying to want to focus your attention on what you're shooting, uh, not necessarily what you're going to fix in post. And so um, I would say, you know, and as you know, what do we have five day shoots where the first two days are just prep. So, I mean, in the past, I would have just shot for five days and tried to make it work. Um, I think what ends up happening is, as you start shooting more, you realize I don't want to be downloading thousands of photos out of my camera or my phone to find the right one. Um, there's nothing worse than asking someone to take a photo of like you and your mom and they're like, they click, 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 click. And then you've got to go through the 30 photos where it's just kind of slightly different. Um, and so I, I've gone from wanting to shoot more because I don't think people have the time or want to have to go through and find the right one. I'd much more um, like to shoot five of you know, the best things I can shoot, put the most time into prepping those five and then choose one or two that I like as opposed to shooting a million. I think shooting a million photos uh, is just like anything. I think it's a learning experience. I grew up shooting film. So if there's anybody with I, boxes of film, uh, you definitely learn how to shoot photos the hard way. Um, so I would say now I try to focus on getting the right image as fast as possible. Uh, but to answer your question, I mean, yeah, you're going to, you know, it, it depends on the value of the project. Does the project require hundreds of photos? Or if I can get us even close to where we need to be, that I can go back, review what we've shot. And then the next time I shoot it, you know, for next Saturday's game, take those elements in, into account. Because let's be honest, nobody's downloading 300 photos from, you know, this Saturday's T-ball game and going, this one's better than this one. Usually it's because they're out of focus. You know, Those are all things that can be corrected outside of the realm of um, when a game is going on or <laughs> when you're in the elements of a sports field. That's great advice. And, and even then, right, if you're comparing 100 photos of the same thing, it's nearly impossible to figure out which one's the best one. Of the 100, there's probably like three things consistently wrong with most of them <laughs> so if you could just if you could just focus on those three things then not you won't have to shoot 100 photos and so uh you know that's why we narrowed this down to a few things i think lighting is the most crucial you should always seek the best light possible um the best perspective for that light possible um and then moving into this which is uh, obviously perspective um just like sports turf with gardens and landscapes you know there's a very similar uh similar aspect to it where you can see the light in these, you know, we light the water very well. We've got very, you know, depending on whether or not it's a traditional spray or a streaming rotor nozzle, you know, the, we found a way to put the light behind it and kind of capture, uh, you know, how uh, kind of elusive these sites are. I mean, that, where is, this, is a, this is a park in Madrid, in the central Madrid. Uh, this place is amazing. It was a royal palace at one time, um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I think there's very small tips when people shoot their landscapes uh, after an install 
that we've we've brief briefly talked about in the past, but I think some of these are like the grandiose versions of uh, of what I've talked about. And uh, you know, I've always told people, don't shoot your landscape right after you've installed it. You know, I mean, I know you've just come off the the sale and you know you've installed it, but nobody wants to see a two gallon viburnum. You know in the landscape, um, make sure it's properly irrigated, form a really good relationship with the customer, and then plan on coming back six months to a year from now, uh, putting a day into prepping it for the shoot, and then shooting it, and then you'll have a great final product. But it's really hard to market um, landscaping when it's like a fresh landscaping. You know, you really want it to be a mature landscaping. And as you can see in the bottom right here, that's about as mature as you get. I'm sure those bushes are 50 years old. And so, um, in doing so, your trees are taller, your trees frame the lower plants um, better, which is what the architect uh, that designed it's, you know, the reasoning behind their design and their plant choices. And so as you can see here, it's a very mature landscape framed with great uh, 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 Italian cypress, Richard. I mean, you know maybe better. I think those are Italian cypress or... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're, these shots are so great. You're giving me the travel bug right now. I'm... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to be booking a flight right after this uh, webinar. I vaguely remember this, but I, I definitely remember turning on the sprinklers at this place was a big deal. Um, they had, I think, the World's Fair here when they like Thomas Edison or this was back in the 1880s uh, prior to the Chicago one. I just remember it being a big deal. They turned the irrigation on and that we were able to shoot this place. The oldest tree in Spain resides in this park somewhere. Um, to the point where during the Spanish Revolution, they had to pull a cannon up there to shoot out of. So I, I'm trying to like, this is a while ago, but I'm slowly remembering a lot of this. I also remember they had a, um, a drone lawnmower uh, for that area right there. And it was like Husqvarna was testing their drone, like the first automated lawnmowers, you know, uh, because in this park, it was so nice of a park that no, I was like, wouldn't in America, somebody would just steal that <laughs> and try to figure out a way to use it at home. But because it was such a protected park that uh, they were like using them there, which was like a big deal at the time. But but yeah, yeah, a little bit of the travel bug. I mean, that's the beauty of the circumstance. You put yourself in the right scenario uh, to shoot a good photo. Uh, usually you'll get what you want. And so uh, that's what you look for. So I put some tips there too for people that watch this after. Um, and if you have any questions on that, let me know. Um, so an, another one is uh, equestrian centers. So equestrian centers, we, you know, they run the horses on turf, they run them on dirt um, or sand. Um, the equestrian centers need water too. So uh, the, in central Florida, there's a huge equestrian market all the way down into the Gold Coast of like Boca and uh, Palm. Um, we have Palm Springs in California out here. We have Palm Beach, Palm Beach. Um, so they have uh, beautiful horse and equestrian facilities throughout uh, Florida. Uh, we've also been, or I've been to some overseas as well. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of liability with irrigation around horses. The last thing we need is a, a half a million dollar horse stepping on a sprinkler and breaking its leg. So what they do is they mount them to the poles on the outside. Well, now we're moving the trajectory of these the irrigation four feet off the ground. That's something that I'm not used to shooting. Uh, so it became rather difficult. Uh, so these were some of the things we had to figure out. How did, what was the alignment of the irrigation that we wanted to try to promote the coverage? You know, we want to show that the heads are not hitting people in the stands. By the way, the stands, this is a private facility um, that somebody has uh, their own little like private race, I guess, a couple times a year for the, them and all their friends to race their horses. Uh, so this is a giant private facility. Um, and I won't tell you who owns it, but he's no longer with us, but he did own a famous sports team that wasn't in Florida. <laughs> 
and um, he he was really into to horses. And this is one of his facilities where he raced these horses. Well, you have these heads four feet off the ground. Those are that that put him some challenges. Once again, straight out of the camera, I can see some flaws here in what I've shot. Uh, there's way too much sky. That's uh, the horizon's almost right in the middle of the, the photo. And anyone that's watching this has seen my seminars before. Uh, I don't like the sky being right in the middle or the horizon being in the middle of the frame. I would definitely get rid of some of that sky and probably, probably add some elements to it. Um, I also see some some brown in the, the middle of the field that we would eliminate. Um, so as opposed to, like you said earlier, Richard, getting rid of litter, you could be getting rid of litter, but what I'm looking for is things like that. As somebody that's trying to market the value of the landscape or the irrigation, we want that consistency. That's what uh, uh, people subconsciously look for in landscapes. Um, it, it, just like I said, when someone plants a new landscape, the last thing they want to see is 40 beautiful plants and then a brown one. Um, they want to see consistency, and uh, that's what the that's where our value is in knowing what we're doing with the irrigation properly. Looks like you're up on the roof of something here. Is that what you had to do? You had to get on somebody's roof? This is the bleachers. So this is all just a giant private facility. I don't even think the only house on the property is for the, the, the person that takes care of it, like the caretaker. Um, that little hut in the middle is just, a, that's the front of a party house where there's like a whole party house for the middle. Um, and then I'm up on like the bleachers where normally during the events, like you can see right below me, they'll stretch off tents across there with whatever the event is. I know there's a lot of like, um, uh, like Budweiser and there's big corporations that probably rent out this facility. So you could put custom tents across there. I'm actually at the bottom of the bleachers shooting down, um, you know, and even at the top, there's the announcement thing, but this is a whole like mini Del Mar uh, for a private facility. It was uh, pretty remarkable. That's pretty cool. And I like that, uh, that aerial perspective down on the, uh, on the turf um, it really gives it a nice feel. And there's another row of sprinklers on the infield too, you know, that have to shoot the opposite way. Um, but the idea is that, you know, once again, we're creating that consistent trajectory. Our, our DU rate is consistent where even if the horses are running in towards the, the middle of the infield or on the middle of the track, um, you know, that it's not tearing it up. There's no, not more moisture here than there is here. Um, you can see that the green is relatively consistent uh, because that's the things you have to work, you have to look out for. Sometimes you're, you know, 12 horses wide or 11 horses wide. Uh, sometimes they're in line. And so their big thing is making sure that the, the D rate is consistent across them. Once you've moved a sprinkler four feet off the ground, you can imagine the challenge with wind. Um, and so that was the, some of the complexities I saw from an irrigation you know, side and designer and contractor side from these sites with some of those challenges they had to deal with. A lot of times they end up running these sprinklers for way longer than they need to because there's no way to get water to the middle of you know, a span that is, that is that wide and you can't put sprinklers down the middle. And so you have to kind of overwater to get the water to where you need in the middle. Very nice. Um, also, you know, there's facilities that are indoors. Um, there's indoor, you know, anything from roping or uh, you know, when they tackle the cows. Uh, we, went to the, we went to the rodeo a long time. Or wrestling, that would know. be. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I like tackling the cows, though, a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forget what it was called. I, I, I love wrestling and I grew up in Texas. I should know this, but there is indoor circumstances that sometimes we, we come across. And one of the main things, once again, these are straight out of the camera. So you can see the beautiful polarizing that the sun is, uh, uh, we call this GL or God light. It happens towards the end of the day, um, especially in the Southeast and the Midwest when that sun just comes across the clouds perfectly. Uh, you get that great backlighting. And that's that's what's happened in the bottom image. Um, you can also see the protected sprinkler head um, to make sure that if a horse does go over there, he doesn't hurt anything. 
Um, and then the top images, yeah, sometimes we're shooting um, stuff inside. I mean, there's polo fields that are indoors. There's uh, tennis courts and volleyball courts that are indoors that are on stuff that requires water. Uh, people forget that a lot of synthetic turf actually requires irrigation because it gets so dusty and so hot during the summer months that it can either burn you, you know, I mean, I've seen valve boxes that are flipped over lids and within two hours, they've left a perfect uh, burn mark on the synthetic turf. So a lot of times you're going to come across these circumstances where maybe you've got some shade and sun to deal with. As you can see in the top image, what I've tried to do is I've tried to allow that light to rake in from one side. Uh, and so I never have too much hot or too much dark in the image. Uh, and it kind of adds that consistency. And so you can see it still kind of markets the, the, the warehouse itself or the, the structure itself, um, along with showing you what's below it. So is the secret there to get that light right um, in the aperture speed? Uh, so the two things would be the aperture and then the shutter speed. Um, if I'm shooting water or anything moving, the shutter is going to become a variable. Uh, typically in a, in a kind of a stale, stale shot like that, um, you're going to be really just kind of manipulating the aperture. One is like, for instance, you can see the fence and the, the farmland kind of in the back. Uh, that would be way more blurry if I had adjusted my aperture and made it tighter. Also, because if you think about how far the back corner of that structure is, I mean, it's 120 yards from me. I have to make sure that my aperture is pretty open. Well, as soon as I open my aperture, I allow way more light in. Um, so you got to be really careful to find that happy medium. And that's where you would adjust your shutter. So you'd, you'd raise your shutter, make it 125 to, in this case, probably 160. And then I would open my aperture up. That way my focal plane grows and gets deeper, but I don't lose any of that, the, that contrasting light that I want. So it's a co the combination of the aperture, the hole of the aperture, and the speed in which the shutter is allowing light to go through that hole. Uh, that gives us gives us that. Also, because we're shooting digital, I probably cranked up my ISO or ASA, whatever you want to call it. That's our film speed. Um, in the past, we've talked about this. This is it, and it, essentially the thickness of the film, or in this case, the thickness of the sensor and how much light it's allowing in. In this, I've probably allowed it to go upwards of 400 or 800, um, which was 800 was not like a film speed a lot of people shot. Um, which a lot, it's a lot of available light. So we have available light that the film is letting in combined with focal plane, which is controlled by the aperture. And then um, how much light is coming in uh, also is controlled by the shutter. So it's a combination of those three elements. Yeah, what I really like about these two photos and the thing that most people don't get is the depth, right? These look almost 3D. There's so much depth in them. And uh, that's to me what makes them so beautiful. And that's why that juggling game and shooting a million photos, that's where it comes into play. And it, digitally, you, we have the beauty of being, you can make actually your camera, you can make it um, reliant on aperture or shutter. That little A or that S you see on the top of your SLR camera, what it's doing is it's adding a priority. So it's either saying, we're going to set the, the aperture, you're going to push the button halfway. It's going to tell me, depending on where your little focus square is, this is the aperture you need based on the shutter and the ISO you've provided. This is the aperture you need to get, you know, um, an average, average consistently lit image. Or you can make it shutter where, hey, I'm shooting something faster. I'm going to make my ISO or my film speed open up a little so I can allow more natural light in, but I'm going to speed my shutter up. Then the camera is going to apply the aperture. So that didn't used to be the case. So now you can actually play with that. So everyone always puts in a manual and then they just, you know, circle back and forth on the dial until everything works out. The best thing you can do is go out, spend 10 minutes in your backyard, 
it with a shade with shade and sunlight and just play with shutter speed and just twist it from low, whatever, 60, all the way up to 10,000, shoot something, and then put it on aperture priority. It's just the dial changed from A to, uh, to, to S. Just change it because I've met a lot of people, a lot of even pro photographers, that they'll shoot aperture priority. They're allowing the camera to make a setting uh, adjustment based around the parameters they've laid out. It boggles my mind. I could never do that. Um, but they do it because when you're on a, in a sports field and the light is so consistent, you've already applied the, the consistent variables. Now it's just up to how far you're shooting away and the cameras uh, will prioritize that. And that wasn't the case. So um, to answer your question, you can, you can manipulate that either in your camera or you can learn what all these variables do manually and adjust them like I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, good. That's what I like. Um, so only a couple more kind of examples on what we've talked about. I, I know we're at 40, 45 minutes, but um, yeah. So one of the main things with subject matter, and once again, we've talked about this in the past, finding light is obviously so crucial to photography. The other thing that's very crucial is making sure you use your lineage, use your lines. Like what, what's the story we're trying to tell here? And in this case, clearly, once again, this is straight out of camera. So I can see a lot of water on pathways and benches, which is unacceptable. But um, what what the story is we're clearly not in america i think has that been made clear in this image um another thing is uh elevated irrigation as we talked about before can be very hard to handle and very hard to light because i have to really get down low to get behind it um the other thing you can see is look at this line right here see how this line almost meets the bottom left of the corner of my image and then see how this line over here kind of comes out of the bottom right how this line right here comes from the bottom top left Okay, well, all those lines are supposed to be telling the story. They're supposed to be grabbing your attention and moving your eyesight to a, a particular aspect. The, the, pat, the tiles here in the front are moving your aspect down the irrigation line to show your sprinklers are running. Up here is to remind you that we're not in Kansas. And then the pathway right here is to show you that this is a public park. This is somewhere where we're keeping water off of the pathways. The landscape and the irrigation was designed so people could use it 24 hours a day. It's probably a public park in Madrid. Um, while still irrigating things, you know, and then all that other stuff, guess what? It's drip irrigation. That's what we specialize in. So the combination of making sure our, irrig our overhead irrigation is only watering annuals where it needs to, and the drip irrigation is watering everything else, um, you know, is really what we're trying to showcase in an image like this. And obviously this is coming out of a, a irrigation contractor's camera, um, but, you know, there's always an audience and there's always a subject that we're trying and a story we're trying to tell. And in this particular case, you can see how um, those different circumstances align uh, to produce that story. Did you not get that out of what the photo, <laughs> the photo? <laughs> yeah, I love that idea about the lines, right? Something I didn't really know before. And it's certainly going to help me as I, uh, I take some shots this afternoon. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, wow. You know, just uh, a couple more examples, same thing. Um, we're trying to market a sprinkler. So do we need the brick buildings in the background at a, uh, uh, Florida State to to be red and you know contrasting not at all um, uh, you know we really are just trying to focus on the the consistency of the water droplets in the irrigation in this particular case um, and to show that it's on a sports field which is what irrigation sports field photography is all about and then lastly uh, Petco oh. Park in San Diego good old San Diego mm -hmm. so the out the outfield on Petco Park um, you know, it, it needs water too. I have a bunch of the, the irrigation running inside the park on the sports field. Um, but I thought this one kind of 
was better for what we're talking about now. You can, you know, you can see the stadium in the background, but that's not really the story we're trying to tell. This isn't a photo about the Padres. This is a photo about the irrigation. And that comes true when you're shooting your, you know, your kids playing uh, sports. Remember, you want to create the environment that they're in and capture the scene that they're in, but we don't need to see all the other guys' faces. You know, we just need to see them. And so, uh, you know, as you shoot and you frame them, you really want to make sure that the story you're trying to tell uh, going into it is I'm trying to capture this for family members, or am I trying to capture it for the rest of the team or for the league, um, or just for somebody generically for the newspaper. And so you got to know your audience. And hopefully these examples kind of show um, in replace the, the irrigation with, you know, a kid running across right there, you're good to go. And um, so these are my examples, because this is what I've grown up shooting. Yeah. I really love that shot, boy. It um, <laughs> Both from a sprinkler's perspective and a turf perspective, it's just great. Cool. Okay. Well, Michael, thank you so much. If we want to get a hold of you, we have more questions after. How can we do it? So here's my email. Obviously, I have a Jane's website email. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter. Um, I handle the Instagram account for Jane. So I'm always trying to post good photography stuff on there. Anything from ag to landscape to uh, you know, contractors, controllers, distributors, events. So our, our Instagram is is pretty uh we're pretty on top of our Instagram. Unlike a lot of some, a lot of people in the industry, we're pretty on top of all of our social media. So you can always get the newest tips there. Um, and then always feel free to email me if you have specific tips. Uh, anybody that's emailed me after our webinars knows that I'm, uh, uh, I'm very open and generous with my time with them. Yeah. Well, this is super generous of you to share your experience that uh, most of us don't have uh, in taking photos and of course, bettering the industry and, uh, and helping all our customers out. And, uh, and uh, I really do appreciate it. Michael, thank you. And thank you to everybody who joined today. Uh, really appreciate uh, your taking time out of your day to watch what we're up to. And remember at janesusa.com forward slash training, you can see all our more than 150 trainings there uh, from uh, photography to uh, how to's on installation. So uh, enjoy that. Uh, and I uh, hope everybody has a great weekend. And thanks again, Michael. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye now.